Hello, I'm King Navasa, and this is Celebrating Caymanians Overseas, Out of Sight, Not Out of Mind. Today I'm calling on Antonio Arch, world traveler. <laughs> Over a two-decade career, he has built a reputation for dependable content strategy, persuasive copywriting, and now creative writing. Recent graduate from the Manchester Writing School, he now pursues his PhD at University of Huddersfield. Let's get him on the line. The magnificent Antonio Arch. Antonio, you have continent hopped. I've had a peep at your bio. And from Grand Cayman to Montreal to Manchester. <laughs> yeah, with We're gonna, some stops. With some stops in between, right? And with an impressive career going on in it, you keep quite quiet from what I'm hearing, because I didn't hear about it, a lot of the things until recently. I'm going to touch on a few of them, and I actually took the time to read something. That oh, who told that you that? To touch on as well. Is it anything, isn't anything <laughs> mean or... No, no, nothing mean. Nothing mean. But of course, I feel obligated to ask traditionally is, who you for? Um, <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> um, who your people is? Um, I'm Arch on one side. Um, um, somebody came up to me and asked the last time I was home, Boy, you look just like your daddy at that age. And, and I said to her, how could you possibly know? She said, you for Dick Arch. I can tell you for Dick Arch. You look just like your daddy did that. I'm like, wow. So apparently I can't, I, I can't get away with I, I could never shop with the game man or, or, or <laughs> do anything that, you know, remotely illegal in public because apparently I, I can walk down the street and I sound like him and I look like him and people oh. will come up to me that I don't know. They say, boy, you look like just like your daddy at daddy. You know what they say, you know, family can't hide. <laughs> and, and on my mother's side, mm. I get the same comment except... Um, uh, People say, "Boy, you look just like your Baden relatives." When when I look at your profile, so I'm I'm half Baden town on the other side, Baden. Um, my mother's half half Baden, half Connor. So, did you grow up in Cayman as well? Uh, I grew up in born in born in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, mm. Like everybody at that time, I guess. And everybody in the seventies, I, I think, we were delivered by. Same doctor, same hospital, came home. Like, what district did you grow up in? I always Georgetown. Always Georgetown. Uh, um, yeah. Spent some time on the on the weekends in Bottentown and and towards the Peace Bay, but mm. during the week, always Georgetown. Okay. Do you have like a fond memory or your favorite memory from that time? I have nothing but fond memories of of, of that time. Um, the most happy, conventional. <laughs> storybook if if Norman Rockwell was was here and came in in those years the late 70s the early 80s mm -hmm. he would be painting he'd be, he'd my be, story he'd be painting it oh give me give me one give me an anecdote uh, give me a, um, a, a funny time funny something funny happy memories on the beach happy memories uh, uh, my, my earliest memories is mm. In, in life is, is my parents' house on Hospital Road, and I'm actually sitting in a baby chair, and my father's trying to force feed me soy milk. And he's <laughs> saying, 
you have to drink it. It's good for you. You have to drink it. It's good. You have to try it. You have to drink it. And I can remember either spitting it out or, or, or projectile vomiting it. Oh and my, my sister, my sister's behind him going, hold his nose, daddy, hold his nose. <laughs> his sister was conspiring. Oh, um, no. And I, I, I can remember that like it's yesterday. Oh, that's actually adorable. That's too cute. So do you do you like soy milk now? I cannot stand the smell of soy milk. Okay. Soy, the idea of a soy latte, soy ice cream, soy anything. It, 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 give me whole milk or, or don't. Thank you. I'm the same. I agree there. <laughs> the smell puts me off, and then I just can't drink it. But <laughs> cool. it smells like that stuff that they put on the back of wallpaper to, you know, <laughs> on the wall. It said smells like glue. All right. So you said you left Cayman at age fourteen. Is yeah, that- I went away to school pretty and, early at fourteen. And that was Montreal, was it? That was um, a, a small prep school about 40 kilometers west of Toronto in a town called Oakville, Ontario. Can you remember why that move happened? I wanted to I wanted to go. I, I knew some kids and some, some relatives who had gone to the school and had a great experience. And it seemed like uh, just a world away. And there were so many different opportunities and courses and things to do and things to try. And, and I, I had to I had to go to, to, to try it out myself. Fair. Okay. And from there, I want to know now how the continent hopping, hopping happened. How did you start off, uh, as you said, in Cayman for 14 years. Then you went off to school in uh, Canada. And okay, tell me the rest of the journey from there. From there, I, I went to Montreal and I did... Um, my undergraduate degree in between Montreal and the Laurentian Mountains in a in, in, um, really small university called Bishop's University in, in uh, Lennoxville, Quebec. Used to be the, um, the one of the training facilities for the Anglican priesthood. And it's now really terrific, small, liberal arts university with a satellite college in Montreal. Okay. Stayed in Montreal for my my um, graduate school, and I, I did a PR degree at McGill Business School, and then I did all of the um, the paperwork to immigrate to Montreal, Quebec, and I stayed. I was in Montreal proper for a decade after that. Ooh, it really, really that was home. That became home. You for um, for ten years. For ten years, uh, it must Montreal. have been good. That's a good. That's a good chunk of life. So it must yeah. have been good. It was right. a very happy fruitful mm. productive period and it was i think it kind of coincided with with that period when things got really expensive and came in that <laughs> you could you could live in montreal for not a lot of money okay right. so tell me more about canada your time in canada what were you doing while you were there is that where you started writing or what were you doing while in canada what were you doing for work i at a university uh i did some pre-production. I worked in casting for a while. I did some um, um, some contract work with, with um, you know, matching TV and voice talent. Um, the last project I worked on was such a huge bomb that um, I, I remember thinking, okay, you've done your PR degree. You need to start to segue towards um, 
more traditional PR, and I I started doing copywriting, um, and and that was lucky. I remember working um, on some casting for a series that was um, a spinoff of. You remember the Never Ending Story? Yes, with the big white dragon thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a series that was based on. Well, it was it was a the series spinoff of, of of that film, Tales from the Neverending Story, and I remember doing quite a bit of work for that. Um, you were doing the PR work or the copywriting? I was. I did some copywriting for the studio, and I did some casting through um, an agency I worked for. And um, at the time, it was in the history books as the most expensive per episode production ever produced in Canada at a million dollars an episode, and it was a bomb. I think um, when it went to Showtime, it was so badly that they pulled it and and edited together into a mini series, and and it didn't get renewed. And I don't think it's been seen much. Oh, um, yeah, that was well, what, that was fun though. It was fun. That was that. That's what's good, and you got the experience from it. So what I just gathered is. You, you did a bit of film work and a bit of voice work. Uh, Not uh, me. I I did the coordinating the contracts. Okay. The you were on bios. The the, oh yeah, I was. I was never had any. <laughs> you weren't in the limelight. You were. You were in operations. You did. You did casting as well. You said right. I I, I worked did quite a bit of um casting work with um another series that was on MTV just. Or after that, called undressed. Oh wow, undressed. Is yeah. that like uh, looking at? Is that the one looking at like celebrity threads and stuff? Or it, it was about this this dormitory, a university dormitory in a sort of a. a, a it could have been anywhere in a, in a sort of an urban university, but oh. um, it was all filmed and cast in Montreal that season. Um, through a Manchester director, oddly enough, who, who I didn't know was from Manchester at the time. Mm. Um, making um, links, making links. Yeah, um, he was a director producer of the Mission. Um, his name was Roland Joffe, and his production company, uh, Light Motive, I think it was called, had set up a house in Montreal to, to um, produce this series at a very low budget, and then mm-hmm. um, distribute it to an American audience. Very good. PR, copywriting, is that what you kind of was set out to do? Was that intentional? Yeah, I think that's probably what I've been best at for my most of my adult life. You uprooted from Cayman, went to Canada, and 23 years there, then you uprooted again and came to England. Is that how it happened? Um, no, then I came back to Cayman. You went back to Cayman first. I came back to Cayman and... and kind of discovered Cayman all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't lived in Cayman full-time for any long period. Two decades, you can say. Yeah, other than a long summer here or, or, or some time off there. And um, found myself really um, looking at it almost from the outside again and, and, and rediscovering and falling in love with Cayman slowly as if I had come here for the first time. You know what? I've been back and forth for 10 years. And yeah, when I take breaks and go back, it actually is still developing quite fast because it's either a new road here or 
<laughs> a changing building here or a new hotel that changes the route to West Bay, for example. But <laughs> so I, I got lost a few times and you have to relearn it again sometimes. I'm looking out right now at a golf course and a d- development in the North Sound is here. I, I didn't know anything if this was here. <laughs> That's right, because you're visiting Cayman right now as we're speaking. I, 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 I'm not really sure where I am right now. Okay, so Antonio, 14 years in Cayman, 23 years in Canada, and then you went to England. So what happened when you moved back to Cayman that then made you decide to go to England, take that next leap? What happened? I had a, a, a very good friend of mine who I, I reconnected with almost upon arrival in Cayman, um, lovely young lady named Lisa, who I became just fast friends with. I made I made a wonderful circle of friends really mm-hmm. fast. And, and I I would say part of the reason why I've been so happy back in Cayman is, is an incredible, fun, funny, supportive circle of friends. And I... I um, I, I say Lisa's name because she is the one who introduced me to almost all of that circle of friends. Mm. And Lisa had been telling me for years, as long as I'd known her, um, I used to email her stuff and I, I I still have the same medium blog. And she'd read stuff and she'd say, oh my God, you're brilliant. Oh. And then she'd post it on her Facebook and tweet it. And I'd go, oh my God. Okay. Said, this is what my friend Antonio Archis yeah. written. Isn't this incredible? You guys have to read this. Oh. And, and um, she had been acting. You know, you really need to stop what you're doing and do an MFA. At the time, I thought, what's an MFA? And we, every time we met, we had something to talk about. And and um, and she was obsessed with all things Caymanian. Mm-hmm. And at the time i have to say that and i must admit i i didn't think there was anything interesting to write about and she would slap me on the on the wrist and say oh, oh no 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 you, there is everything interesting to write about don't you know mr so and so on on the <laughs> south sound and she knew everybody by name she had worked at um she worked at, at a restaurant in south sound on the south sound when she first got here called the crow's nest and she knew every south sounder by name and the sound of their muffler and their backstory and their life story. And mm-hmm. and she would come and get me and put me in the car and take me places and say, do you know who lives there? And do you know what this is? A-? Oh, she really? knew more about, Lisa Turner knew more about Cayman at that stage than I ever will. She had <laughs> oh read the history books. Yeah. She had, she had- um, Spoken to the people. She had spoken to the she people. Was she was out there had, doing her research. Uh. <laughs> she knew everybody. Everybody knew her. And she mm-hmm. had wonderful stories. And she said, everything you need is right here for you know, life. And I it's could beautiful. spend the rest of my life here. And, and she could spend the rest of her life here. Um, she passed away quite tragically on Valentine's Day. Oh, no. Um, uh, four years ago after... Um, um, a really tragic turn of events that it was in the papers, on the news. And um, uh, my family, uh, the, in the weeks after, there was an inquest. And and um, a, a few days after she died on Valentine's Day, she was on the front page of the Compass. And my family said, um, we need to get out of here. Mm. Maybe not London this time because you don't want hustle and bustle, but go somewhere a little more quiet. I thought Manchester. I hadn't stopped in Manchester for years, and I, I sort of thought 
from Manchester, I can go to Liverpool, I can go to Leeds, I can go. And there were all sorts of places that I wanted to, to visit. And I got to Manchester and I just um, sort of had this very positive experience in the middle of the tragedy in Manchester. And okay. and it was just, you know what Manchester's like. It, it, it was a city that you can walk across in 20 minutes. You can walk anywhere you want. You're right. And feel safe. It is a very affordable um, place to visit and live. It is yeah. a very, there was so much to do. And I stayed a month. And it probably, probably, you know, saved my sanity. And during that point, I got out a notebook and I started to, to, to write some stuff down just, just out of catharsis and therapy. Was the word solace? You found solace in writing. You found relief. What was the first thing you wrote? The, was it intentional or were you just journaling? What was the first thing you wrote? The, the first thing that I wrote was, was uh, um, I, I tried my hand at, at um, some poetry and it was so bad that I thought, well, I'm not gonna ever try that again. It, it, it didn't rhyme and the haiku didn't <laughs> fit. Okay. And then I tried a, a short story and then I tried two chapters of a novel, and then I fell on a piece of, of, of an exercise of what's called creative nonfiction. And it was a retelling of my friend Lisa who had just passed away. She was a, a huge influence. Um, the other two influences after that were, were my parents. Um, right. um, I, I came home and I, and I dropped my bags and I said, well, I, I, I should start looking for, you know, a place to live, my own place, and my mother shook her head and she said, you can move out of here when you're married or dead. Mama so wasn't my, letting you go. No, my old room was there and my, so I began to, to listen to my parents' stories, not again as a teenager, but as an adult and realized my parents had, um, and anybody who knows my father or remembers my mother, uh, they, my mother had the stories and my father has this memory. And the two of them, you got them together on a table and they they could um, finish each other's sentences. And, and, and Margaret, what's the name of that person that used to live at such and such? Oh, Dick, that's so-and-so. You remember, he was married to so-and-so and so. And they, they could... They had all the they, stories between the they two had, of them. They epitomized sort of oral storytelling tradition. And I, I started to listen to them all over again as an adult thing. Mm -hmm wow, these stories are pure gold. The combination of, of these factors got me thinking, I need to try my hand at writing down some of these stories. And I realized that my grammar is fine. I have sort of the copywriter work ethic, but I know nothing about how to sit down and structure a story how to um, um, mind map, how to even, I didn't even know where to start, where to finish, where to um, where to get inspiration, whether I could pull a person or a-, a Character development and all that different stuff. Nothing, no. nothing. I, character development, I didn't even know what that was four years ago. Okay, so Lisa told you about the MFA, that is the Masters of Fine Arts, while you were in Cayman and you moved to England um, with the intent to, to complete the MFA. 
And tell me about that. What was the MFA like? The MFA is 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 really interesting. It's two aspects. It's, it's um, usually a reading, critical reading, where you where you get together with. It's a very small cohort. Or I think there was the bus in my graduating class, and you spent half the time reading very heavily, and then you spend the other half of the time in something called workshop. Okay. And workshop is like. It's kind of like surgery without the anesthetic because you have to sit there every two to three or maybe once every several weeks, share your work around a conference table. You read your excerpt and then you're not allowed to talk. You can say nothing. You just must. Okay. So you just read it and zip it. You read it and zip it and you don't talk. And everybody around the table goes around the table one by one and tells you what they thought of what you just wrote. And they can say anything they want they can they can say well i really like this or that really sucked or this was good this was fine or this is mediocre i didn't they can say anything they want and at the end you have to stand up and smile and say thank you Woo! um you have to and i I've, i i don't mind telling you i was probably one of those people who left <laughs> old, um fighting back tears on a couple of times because oh. the first time you do it you are you're thinking ah pretty good Right. Wrote, and you're at one end of the conference table, and you have a professor instructor at the other end. Mm-hmm. There, across the table, was the great Monique Rafi. I don't think you can go into a Waterstones or a train station or an airport departure lounge right now and not see the Mermaid of Black Conk um, on 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 a shelf. So she's I, the some, author of the the Mermaid. The, what was the name? Sorry. The Mermaid of Black Conk. The Mermaid of Black Conk. So um, she was the author, and she, she was, was your professor. She was your... my my. Um, she headed up my my workshop, and then she became my supervisor, um, my dissertation oh, wow. supervisor. Mm. And that was when it got fun, and that was when it got really hard. And I I pivoted automatically to Monique Rafi because she was from Trinidad, and she writes about the Caribbean. And I thought. Oh, this this will be great. My my favorite money of Monique's book is it books is um, the White Woman on the Green Bicycle, yes. and it is part of the GCSE curriculum. Now it is taught taught across the curriculum, and she said, "You haven't read that? Have you read any Kai Miller? Have you read any Jamaica Kincaid? Have you met any read any Marla James?" And I was like, "If you want an answer for me," and she really put me through. <laughs> <laughs> I, I worked for it, and I worked very, mm-hmm. very hard for it, and, and um, um, I think I walked away with a really positive experience. And, and uh, she is—I think the police wrote that song about Mindy Quinn. They, 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 they say every little thing she does is magic because everything she touches, everything she edit, edits, everything um, that she writes, it kind of either jumps off the page or is a little bit better. Than when she found it, and I don't know many people that are quite that able to to impart that kind of um, mm-hmm. polish oh. to, to somebody else's work. So she really helped you polish up your writing. Oh, did she ever! Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm forever grateful because she she made me work for it. She made me read. She made me revise and revise. And she didn't have any hesitation to say. Wow, this is amazing! Or this really sucked. You do this, do, do it again. I, everything I know about the Caribbean, I think I've learned in the last year, in the last four years, and 
I have learned everything I know about the Caribbean. From reading the literature. From reading the literature of the region. Oh my word, that is big. That's phenomenal. Uh, because, I mean, the assumption is, I guess people will always put that assumption there. Well, you were born there. Like, you're, like your professor said, it's like, what? <laughs> you want to write about it and you haven't read the literature. But she put you to task, you read it, and it filled in the gaps for you. Yeah, and to put that in context, I mean, the GCSE curriculum that we did here in the late 80s, early 90s, it was all English literature, British literature. Um, yes. We learned about the UK welfare state and the. Um, Whoa, fair enough. And we, other than year five in Miss Janeling's classic prep school and Waddle and Dub and Carrots and Arawax, there was, and it was just a tiny little bit of history and yeah. social studies. There, there was nothing in the school curriculum that prepared me for the Caribbean and Caribbean literature and reading and writing about the Caribbean. Okay, so you moved to England in 2017. That was fresh from Cayman after you went back mm -hmm. from Montreal. And um, after being influenced by your dear late friend, Lisa. Yes. You decided, I'm gonna go to England, try my hand at, at, at writing. So to do that, I'm gonna do the MFA. Correct. Yeah? Wonderful. Yeah. And um, during that MFA, <laughs> you rediscovered the Caribbean through the literature. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say mm -hmm. that I, it, it, you know, some people will say, well, I discovered the Caribbean through travel or looking at pictures or the film or, you know, exploring dialects or anthropology. Mine was through the literature and how the literature reflects the zeitgeist of, of a place and time in the Caribbean. Right. Do you have um, a favorite piece of literature? Caribbean oh, from, literature. from the Caribbean? Mm -hmm. A favorite piece of Caribbean literature. I'm not I'm not saying this um, because obviously I've gotten my marks back and, and I, I graduated, but um, definitely up there would be Monique Rafi, The White Woman on the Green Bicycle. Right. Um, Nicole Dennis-Ben, who... Um, um, uh, Patsy and Here Comes the Sun, mm -hmm. Jamaica Kincaid, A Small Place. I've I read and reread, and some of these I've read three and four times the last few years. Um, Jacob Ross, if if, if I ha had to, to pick somebody else, he, he writes sort of a, a um, Eastern Caribbean, sort of in a noir style, like that, that sort of um, Raymond Chandler detective fiction, but mm -hmm. sort of very moody atmospheric stuff with which sort of like a dark sort of you know the dark side of yeah, the, um, it gave you different dimensions than through the literature as well oh my goodness that is phenomenal i would say i learned about the caribbean through the music so you're right where where you say people learn in different ways but you, you we're going to all come to i guess a similar we're going to paint a similar picture at the end of the day from what we learned and i think i learned about the different islands and cultures in the Caribbean overall through the music. So it's fascinating to hear that you've learned or uh, rediscovered it through the literature. So I think that's I think that's really remarkable. Yeah. Right. So Antonio, you said you just graduated from the MFA. Was it? So you graduated and you decided you want to go further. 
And no, I actually packed up everything and went home to Cayman and started working with the same same um, um, same uh, collection of, of um, businesses and clients. And um, I had a handful of clients that I've been working with the, the last decade or so that I just love working with because they're fun and, and um, on the daring side when it comes to content and copy. And I had just really considered doing a PhD and was asked to come back to Manchester. And while I was in Manchester, um, somebody from my MFA that graduated with it, another writer um, friend, Alex Bowie, she called me and said, have you gotten your marks yet? Said, no, I'm not really that eager to, to know them because I, I think it'll be on the on the low end of the spectrum. And, and um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if she's, well, check them out, I'll wait. So I got online and um, I, much to my, I, I was pretty shocked when I found out that I was graduating with distinction. And- um, Oh, very good, snaps for that. So it's, it's fascinating to hear that you've continued um, down the path of creative writing and so much so that you're doing your PhD in it now and you're going to be a teaching assistant um, starting possibly soon uh, alongside doing your research for the PhD at University of Huddersfield. I hope, yes. Yes, brilliant. Now, uh, when you said that you had actually gotten distinction in your MFA, I myself wasn't surprised because I actually read a piece, an article you wrote in 2008 and I believe this was your PR. This was the time when you're doing PR and copywriting. And the writing is, it's up there. <laughs> you want to tell me? So this one well, is, uh, the one that I read is, it's fine art at work. Uh, the past, present and future of corporate art collections. Yeah, it was that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember where that went, what, who that was for. Um, um, I, it, it might have. Tloma, TLM, TLOMA today. Oh, the Law Office Management Association. I think I might have done something for their, for their magazine. Um, but yeah, that, even this little snippet that I read, I said, wow. And you didn't think that you would get a distinction? <laughs> if I give, I'm like, can I read a bit of it? Can I turn off? Can I try to remove it? No, go go, go right ahead. I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember. Okay, I'll try and be quick. I'll just read the first paragraph. What a half century it's been for the corporate art collection. In less than 50 years, the concept of corporate art buying and collection that comes as a result have evolved from from vestigial bump to appended limbs. That many is these words that are tripping me up okay excuse me i wrote that yeah you wrote all of this this is you oh 2008 okay <laughs> many com- that many companies have learned to put to good use the present day phenomenon which is all but wings that carry a small and i listen i tell you it's like out of my league <laughs> well that I, <laughs> it's I, like I, out, of, out of my league um okay so, yeah, that's uh, not bad, is it? I, I, it, <laughs> it is almost as though the art has grown into a complex and important extension of an organization's structure and indeed its entire 
identity. Isn't it ironic that in such economic times, the greatest benefit to corporate may be culture itself? That's you. I don't remember writing that. That's you. <laughs> 2008. That's not bad, is it? It is not. not bad, King. I mean, thank you. I was was cringing here thinking. Uh, That was a fine piece. I mean, it goes on and on um, because it's a whole article. But I read it and I went, and you didn't think you would do good in that course. Excuse me. I'm waiting for the book. Is If there is, actually, I think there is a book, isn't there? There's one book is finished. Mm. The MFA dissertation is a book. Mm-hmm. And um, a companion exegesis. I, I think the book ended up being about 50, 60,000 words. And it was a piece based in Cayman called The Line in the Sand. And I luckily used the protagonist and kept working with the protagonist that I invented for this project at Huddersfield. And, and she is a bit of flour, a bit of egg, a bit of, of, of all of, of the yep. women that I love <laughs> to make the cake. Some and sugar, she's, spice, everything. Yeah, nice. and she's this, this woman that I this character that I came up with and her name is Miss Lorna Page Evans. <laughs> and um, she is... Everybody uh, knows a Miss Lorna. You know a Miss Lorna. Every, we all know a Miss yeah, Lorna. I know one. What is Miss Lorna like? Is she, is she a... She's a strong, opinionated lady. I wrote about her. <laughs> the, that book didn't get published, but the... the um, shorter pieces did end up in, much to my surprise, um, uh, a peer-reviewed journal called um, The Caribbean Writer at the University of um, the Virgin Islands. Mm. And um, I-, I called her, and every time I do something like this local, I go to the elections list and I look for names to make sure that <laughs> I am not using somebody who's alive. Oh, well. And the first time I named her, I called her Aunt Tuxie. Aunt Tuxie? Aunt Tuxie, because sound, so it sounded like Aunt Sookie, um, which everybody knows is, is that wonderful character that Daphne or um, Emily made up. Mm-hmm. And and um, I always loved watching her as a child as Aunt Sookie. And I wanted something that sounded familiar, but was a little more... So Aunt Tuxie became Lorna Page Ebanks. Oh. And, and this character has developed and, and she's still Lorna Page Ebanks in my my um in my thesis for the PhD and mm-hmm. and uh, and the the companion exegesis. But But what 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 happened with the original book? It got graded and I think it it, it was marked in the high seventies, which um, I understand it was one of the highest marks in some years that Manchester Writing School was awarded. And I queried it to exactly 12 agents and publishers. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'll set it up to 12 agents. I'll query it 12 times. And then if if nothing happens, I'm just going to put it on a shelf and move on. Because I, I've seen um, a lot of people say, well, this is my magnum opus. I've been working on this for four years. If this doesn't make me famous or make me a million bounds, oh, nothing will. Oh, so I thought, I'm going to give this 12 letters. I sent out 12 packages. And um, um, it had come back from um, being marked anonymously. Um, and I, I never did find out who marked it. And they said it, it was reminiscent of Catherine Stockett's The Help. 
and a French writer named George Perec, and we loved it, and we're giving it a you know, 77 or 76. Got. You got compared to The Help. I just want yeah. to say that you need to put that book back out there, Antonio. I, d I don't know what to do with it, and I, I've, I've spoken to um, um, Rita. Um, yeah, your... Rita Estevanovich. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, every time I hear her voice, I can I think, wow, you could really... You, you could take Lorna Page, Ebanks, and... and, and Let's do it. Put that out in the universe and we can make that happen. But I really would... You said the title was The Lion in the Sand? The Lion in the Sand, as in draw the line in the sand. Oh, so, so. Well, the line in the sand. Yeah. Ah. Ah. You see, I don't know why I put uh, lion in place of lion, because I'm thinking Miss Lorna must be a lion. <laughs> no, she, she's, a, she's a spitfire tiger is what she was in. Oh. And, um, you wrote this book... It has gotten great feedback, great reviews from, from scholars. And uh, it's called The Line in the Sand. And I would love to see it on on shelves someday. And an audiobook. Oh, I, I, I would love an audiobook. <laughs> and a screen adaptation. <laughs> I'm going too far with it. But you know what? Put it out in the universe, Antonio. I will, I will put that out in the universe. Put it out um, there. What's the favorite thing you have written? What's your favorite piece, even an article, something, your favorite bit that you've Well, written. I can, I can easily tell you that the, what I'm most proud of having written is, is if you go to the um, north end of Governor's Beach, there is a bench of wood and concrete that um, has a plaque on it that says, in memory of our friend Lisa Ann Turner, who thought that this was the most beautiful spot in the whole wide world. Oh and goodness. we got planning permission after Lisa died. Um, to have that place at the north end of Governor's Beach and some some great friends of hers had it designed, had it built, oh got, had planning permission. And my little contribution is the plaque at, at the center. And and I think I'm I'm very proud of that. Just that little bit that I could, could sum up that. That is too um, beautiful. That's poetic. And I hope I hope that um because you mentioned before that you struggled with some poetry, but I hope <laughs> I hope her memory could could spark some um, good material for you. Because it sounds like Daryl Lisa was definitely a, a major influence, and uh, it sounds like she's left you many memories which you can draw on. Definitely, you're absolutely right. So, besides the big pieces of work, would you do uh, let's say some some short stories or uh, just something? There's something more fun. Would you put little pieces out there? Because we would, I would to see more of your writing. I would love to revisit short stories. Um, I'm trying to remember who said it. I remember um, reading it in a, a piece on Caribbean fiction that the short story is the consummate art form, the, the consummate literary art form of the Caribbean because there are so many good short stories and so many great short story writers. We'd love for you to be one of them and we would love to feature your work whenever it comes, and I hope that's soon. <laughs> How do you want to be remembered? Oh, gosh. Yeah, think about it. How do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? Um, I mean, I could answer it for you. <laughs> I mean, you're going to tell me how I'll be remembered or how I... I could, uh, if I were you, I mean, I want to be remembered as a great writer because I think you're very much on that path. 
I think if I'm remembered as a competent writer, um, I, I'd be very happy. Um, I, I think if, if um, after I'm gone, that anything stays on a bookshelf or print, or even on a library shelf, mm-hmm. I, 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 would, I won't be here to know about it, but um, I'd like to be, you know. The thought would be satisfying. It would be yeah, satisfying. I'd love that for you. So as a writer, and we know now you've gone through a lot of literature, have you come across, or do you have a favorite quote? Oh, definitely. Um, and it's, our lives are half comedy and half tragedy. And that, that's from um, Less by Andrew Sean Greer that won the Pulitzer Prize. I think that was 2019 it won the Pulitzer Prize. I'd like you to fill in the blanks. So Antonio Arch, life is fill in the blank. That's a great question. And I want to say, you know, Life is definitely um, full of surprises, but at the same time, proportionate to what you put into it. Oh, life is full of surprises, but proportionate to what you put into it. Well said. I'm going to write that one down for myself. (laughs) Sometimes I surprise myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. The great, I'm calling you the great. In That's advance, right? You're, getting, you're gonna get there. The great, <laughs> the great Antonio Arch. Thank you. Thank you. The magnificent Antonio Arch. Out of sight, not out of mind. Yeah, Bobo. <laughs> <laughs>